Let us stand in body or spirit as we listen to the word of God. These scriptures are from John 6, 24 to 35. So when the crowd saw that neither Jesus nor his disciples were there, they themselves got into the boats and went to Capernaum looking for Jesus. When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when, when did you come here? Jesus answered them, Very truly I tell you, you, you are looking for me, but not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not look for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures for eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For it is on him that God the Father has set his seal. Then they said to him, What must we do to perform the works of God? Jesus answered them, This is the work of God, that you believe in him who is sent. So they said to him, What what are the signs you are going to give us, so that we may see and believe you? What work are you performing? Our ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness, and it is written, He he gave them bread to eat from heaven. Jesus said to them, Very truly I tell you, it is not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but it is my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For For the bread of God is that comes down from heaven and gives the life to the world. They said to him, Sir, give us this bread always. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. The word of the Lord. Thank you, Ben, for reading that. Um, This passage makes even more sense if we look back a little bit in that chapter in the Gospel of John and we see that Jesus and his disciples have just fed the 5,000. Now, it was probably a lot more than 5,000 because they were just listing the 5,000 men. So there were probably quite a few women, quite a few children, quite a few families. Maybe it was 15,000. I don't know, but it was a lot of people. And it's important to look at that and what happened there, which will make today's scripture make a little bit more sense. Um, Jesus' disciples in the feeding of the 5,000 were dealing with a mindset of scarcity. Do you know what a mindset of scarcity is? It's, it's a sensibility that says there's not enough to go around. And it usually results in hoarding. It results in circling the wagons and saying we're not going to share or be generous because there's just not enough to go around. And the disciples are stuck in that mindset of scarcity. What are we going to do? How are we going to feed all these thousands of people? We, we, don't have, we don't have the money to go out to the nearest Panera. Okay, so they didn't say that. But 
we don't have enough money to buy all the bread. We don't have food enough. Jesus said, what do you have? Oh, we have a few loaves, a, a few fish. He said, you give them something to eat. You give them something to eat. And they did. And there was an abundance of leftovers. Do you see how Jesus takes a mindset of scarcity and turns it into a mindset of abundance? That's what walking with Christ in the flow of the love of the living God, that's what happens to us when we are in the flow. We move from a mindset of scarcity to a mindset of abundance where, of course, there's enough resources for everyone. Of course, there's enough love for everyone. Of course, there's enough food for everyone. It just takes people who are willing to be in that mindset of abundance. So in that story of Jesus feeding the 5,000 with the disciples, the message to disciples then and disciples now is share the bread that you've been given. Share what you have, and it will be enough. Share what you have and see the ripples of blessing that just keep going and affect more than just the recipients of our generosity It's a generosity that begets generosity that begets generosity. And watch how that might be a metaphor for something deeper in the spiritual life. In 1885, Drew University and the Methodist Church at that time celebrated a call in the life of Henry Appenzeller. Henry Appenzeller graduated from Drew, as some of you have and some of you will. And his classmates walked him down to the train station in Madison and put him on a train because he had a call from God and it was to bring the love of Christ to Korea. Now, God had been in Korea long before Appenzeller showed up. But Henry Appenzeller brought a Methodist flavor to that message of God's love in Jesus Christ. And he got on the train in Madison, went to California, got on a boat in California, and took that pilgrimage of trust to Korea where he got off the boat and began a ministry of sharing the love of God in Christ in a Wesleyan tradition. Now, that was one ripple of generosity. But those ripples kept going, not only to the people who heard him in the 1880s, but people who heard the message and heard the message and shared the message and shared the message. And now... Drew University, I think one-third of the student population at the theological school is Korean. Faculty members are Korean. Graduates and pastors in this conference are Korean. Chatham United Methodist Church is the beneficiary of the ripples that started in the pond that Henry Appenzeller dipped into 
And we are the beneficiaries of seminarians and PhD students and teachers and wisdom people of faith who have come to Chatham UMC to continue to discover who Christ is and to share the faithfulness that they have. Do you see the mutual blessing that is happening and continues to happen? This past week, my family and I were visiting some friends in, uh, in Maryland, and then we spent a few days in Washington, D.C., and we visited some museums. Um, I tell you what, one of my uh, greatest pleasures in being a taxpayer in this country is visiting the Smithsonian for free. Well, it's really not for free, but our taxpayer dollars make it accessible to everyone, which is a beautiful thing, and they are some spectacular museums. We spent a full day at the African American Museum, and we ran out of time. They were closing at 5.30, and we still hadn't seen it all. We spent another day at the Holocaust Museum, which is a powerful description of what human beings are capable of for good and for evil. In that museum, there was a a presentation on how Christianity in the last 500 years, and even before that, have been participants in anti-Semitism. How we Christians have misunderstood certain passages, even from the Gospel of John, that we continue to glean wisdom from. That Gospel has been used to justify Hatred of the Jewish people. Martin Luther, 500 years ago, thought that the Jewish people would appreciate Protestant reform. And maybe some did, but not enough to please Martin Luther. And in the end of his life, some of his sermons were so hate-filled with anti-Semitism. And it wasn't until 1994 that the Lutheran Church publicly acknowledged their anti-Semitism and apologized on behalf of their founder. Within Christianity, we have some wonderful expressions of faith and we have some horrific failures. The museum and the Holocaust Museum had other presentations to see how Hitler and the Nazis manipulated fear and manipulated insecurity and created hatred for the media and how he created hatred for minority groups and scapegoated them. And the people, intelligent people, schooled, learned people, went along with it. Even the churches, most of them, including the Methodists, went along with him. And now, churches that made that decision long ago are still working through what does that mean for our witness. And it is not an easy journey to look at the decisions that were made to not confront that hatred with the love of the gospel. In that museum, there was a 
There were numerous stories told by survivors. One in particular I want to raise today because we're, we're reflecting on bread. You can see this on YouTube. Um, this woman who's now in her 90s, she's a therapist. When she was a child, she was brought, I think it was, to Auschwitz. And she was separated from her family. They got off the train car and mothers and fathers were separated from their children. And she was clinging to her mother. And this officer came up to her and said, your mother is just going to get a shower. You come with me. It was Dr. Mengele who did some horrific things in the name of medicine, I suppose. I don't know. And she found herself afraid of this man named Mengele and all she knew as a child to do so that she wouldn't be hurt by him was to dance. And she danced and imagined in her mind that she was a ballerina in the ballet company of Budapest dancing for this doctor who might help save her. And after her dance, Mengele gave her a loaf of bread. And she took that bread under her arm and she walked with others and she shared that bread with others in that concentration camp. Fast forward some time. She survived that camp but was on a death march where she was marched for miles and miles and miles without food. And those who slowed down or those who stopped walking were shot on the spot by the Nazis. She felt like she could not walk any further. And the people with whom she broke bread came and walked alongside of her, took her arms and helped her keep moving and by doing so helped her survive. Do you see the ripples of sharing bread? And those who received that gift returned a gift, a gift of life, a gift of love, a gift of support. The bread, hmm, the bread that we share from Panera every week, We have an abundance of bread that comes every week. More bread than we can give out. But when we do give it out, something holy happens. And it's more than the bread. We heard a few weeks ago, Sally and Alex shared a story about how they brought loaves of bread to their neighbors across the street. They didn't know their neighbors, but they began... A friendship, and it was over the bread. Friends, the bread is an excuse for forming relationships. That relationship blossomed into a, a relationship of love and care. And Sally and Alex began to realize that the elderly men who were living across the street needed help, and they didn't know where to look. And Sally and Alex help them connect with a lawyer, help them connect with a better living arrangement 
in a community where their needs could be met. And they kept bringing bread, but it wasn't about the Panera bread, it was about the relationship. Joanne, how many pounds of food do you bring every week to your apartment building? Brian sometimes brings it out. I would say it's probably between 50 and 100 pounds. Is that about right? Easily. 50 to 100 pounds of bread and desserts that Joanne brings to her apartment complex and within about an hour, it's gone. Is that right? Yeah, and now they're coming from the other building. Now they're coming from the other building because they hear there's bread. And I would venture to guess that people who don't know each other in their apartments meet at the table where bread is. And community happens there. Do you see the ripples, the spirituality, the relationship that happens when we share generously, in this case, bread? In the Gospel today, Jesus and His disciples have taken off after the feeding of the 5,000. They are on the other side of the lake. And those who have eaten of the bread come looking for Jesus and say, hey, that was some pretty good bread. You got any more? (laughs) They don't say that, but Jesus knows what they're interested in. And He says, if you're looking for bread, that bread won't feed the hunger that you're in touch with. And Jesus acknowledges their spiritual hunger. Not the hunger of their bellies, but the hunger of their souls. And that is for a relationship. And Jesus says, what you're looking for is the bread that God sends down from heaven. What you're looking for is the bread of life. And they don't really know how to ask what is this bread of life? And so they ask something else and Jesus ignores their question, which is so often Jesus' MO. He very rarely answers questions directly. And he says, you're looking for the bread of life. I am the bread of life. And if you eat of this bread, you will not be hungry. And if you eat of this bread, you will not thirst. When we come into Christian community, we're acknowledging, whether we know it or not, that we're hungry for something that the world is not giving. We have a spiritual hunger that we are longing to feed. And it is fed through worship of the living God. It is fed through serving the living God. It is fed through going to Kumak and Patterson and helping that ministry feed hungry people. It is fed when we bring bread from the church out to people who may be interested in the bread, but may be more interested in love, in compassion. Our souls are fed through prayer. Our souls are fed when we come early on Sunday morning and go to the Bible study down the hall. Our souls are fed by going to rise and working with the people of northern Appalachia Our souls are fed in so many ways through this place. Our souls are fed through the Eucharist, which is why many of us go to the 11 o'clock service throughout the year because we know we are longing for something 
sacramental that feeds our hungry souls. Today we will have the opportunity to come to the table of the Lord and to receive a a piece of the bread of life. The hope is that we become what we eat. The hope is that we take in Christ so that we can become Christ to a broken, hurting, and hungry world. I don't understand the mystery of the Eucharist, but I believe it with all my heart. The song that we sang earlier today may be helpful in this longing, this spiritual hunger that we have. Let us sing together three times that Tizé chant. Eat this bread, drink this cup, come to me and never be hungry. Friend, drink this cup, trust in me and you will not thirst. Eat this bread, drink this cup, come to me and never be hungry. Trust in me and you will not thirst. Eat this bread, drink this cup, come to me and never be hungry. Trust in me and you will not thirst. Amen.